you like conversation on a variety of topics? Feel like no one wants to talk about the things that interest you? Tired of only hearing the same political, sports, or catastrophe talk? Yeah, we feel that way too. Join two high-functioning geeks as they discuss just about anything under the sun. We can't tell you what we'll be talking about each week because we don't know where our brains will take us. It will be an interesting conversation, though, so hang on and join us. Here comes the Relentless Geekery. Good morning, now. Good morning, Stephen. How are you? Uh, Sorry about this. I'm trash can and well, I still have the uh, bat cave up. I probably should have changed that to something more. Is that a bat trash can? It's a, actually no, it's a, one of those nice generic got it from Target. Might be a I don't even know. I, I don't tend to get ornamental things. The only thing we've done special for trash cans is in the kitchen where often you have things in your hands while you're going to the trash can. So you want the pedal can so that you're not having to juggle a hot right. dish and all that kind of stuff. So there we have one for recycling and one for regular and and are able to that's probably where we generate the most you know waste not trash. just trash you know up here i have empty two liter bottles and paper <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? otherwise right. even like scraps from breakfast they go down on the plate with me to the kitchen where they right. go so anyway when i was younger i had and this really going back i had two trash cans they were metal Okay, now everything's plastic, but yeah. one was tall and skinny. It was Planet of the Apes. And then I had another one that was a little short squat, but it was Buck Rogers. And if I had both of those in okay shape, they're worth like 80 to 100 bucks a piece. <laughs> so. you know, anything I've ever gotten like that, it's probably had the logo worn off of it. Or right. like, it's a trash can. I just, I don't expect to keep a trash can in good shape. You know, I've had any number of plastic. You think plastic is like landfill 10,000 years. I've had things that eventually they get brittle or something like that. Right. And then you get that interesting conundrum of how do you throw out a trash can? They might empty the trash can. So you got to put it out there empty to know that it's not trash can full of trash. It's the actual trash itself. You just have to get a bigger trash can to put it in. Put it into. And I've actually torn them up. I've cut them up yeah. so that it's obvious this is no longer a usable item. But it's, it's like those uh, Matroika stacking dolls. Exactly. You got to. <laughs> And, got, and what I figure is anything I put the way our trash in our town works is they have a big truck that comes along and they actually have a metal arm that comes out and we have official trash cans for the village that it's got the lips so that you put the arm out and then it just swings it over and dumps it out. Right. And I'm pretty sure they don't look in the cans, whatever happens to be in the can, they put it out. So I never put anything like that you body shouldn't. parts. There's no body parts. There's no, <laughs> batteries, there's no combustibles, you know, that whole list of can't take it on the airplane. That's not in my trash can either. And yet, there, there must have been times where when I was throwing things out, it's like when they heard a big thump, they must have wondered, what the hell was <laughs> So Right. We have a coffee can lined that whenever we get a coffee can, we'll put grease and some scraps and stuff in there. Uh, if it's cold, we don't want to go outside and we'll put that in the trash. So I'm sure that clumps really loud. Exactly. <laughs> in fact, they, always I'm looking for like, this isn't just a homemaker's corner. The geekery part of it is there used to be restrictions on certain things that you couldn't throw away various different batteries because they shouldn't go into a landfill. But now that we have this whole um, mainstreaming of all the trash and they take things out that they don't want to go into it. So now you are supposed to throw out batteries except for chargeables because those were supposed to take, luckily our liquid is progressive enough community that they have take your fluorescent light bulbs here, take your batteries here, take your paint here, things that 
even any of it getting into the ground landfill, it gets into the, the groundwater then and can really just despoil your community. So I've had to unlearn some of my, what I used to do with various different trash that's not ever supposed to be thrown away and had to add to all the recycling guys have numbers on them right. within the uh, um, triangle. And like Lakewood has changed where they don't take one to nine now. They talk about how they want like one to seven, but not eight or nine. And I'm not even sure what those are, but I never had to check that. And before I had to do was glance for the recycling symbol right. and then into the bin it goes. So I, it's not so much hassle that I'm not willing to do it because I really am one of those people that this is a good idea, everyone. Don't make it as if in the act of throwing away trash, that what, what a admission that you don't care about the world, yes. don't care about your neighbors. Some people really don't. And I know that some communities have actually put things now where they, if you are an offender, that they find trash that's traceable to you, that really is hazardous, they will fine you for, no, you're not supposed to be throwing away paint. And that's, that's what I was... Hazardous material. Right. You know? That's what I was going to say. One of the things I don't think it's clear and well known enough to everybody what things are hazardous that you shouldn't throw away. That I still run into a lot of people. I don't think that education is quite good enough yet, though I think the kids are starting to get it a little more. But where I live, this community, yeah, forget it. We have recycles, but half these people grew up with that farmer mentality. They grew up with a mindset from their parents and grandparents of 100 to 120 years ago. So to a lot of people around here, and I'm not saying everybody, but a lot, it's, oh, I have trash I want to get rid of. I'll just dig a big hole and throw it in the ground out back. I've got hundreds of acres. If I bury it, it's not going to get into the atmosphere and they don't think about the groundwater and stuff. And actually shades of, um, since we're coming up on Thanksgiving, Alice's Restaurant, yeah. You drive down I-71 pretty often, Columbus and, and Cincinnati and other places. And there's a place where there's a little cliff on their property. And at the base of that cliff is all kinds of trash that they just said, if I throw it over the cliff, I no longer see it. <laughs> it's right. still on my property, but it's no longer my responsibility somehow. And so it's that whole thing of they threw things over where you shouldn't throw them. It's not a dumping site. And especially when you start, I, again, I don't know enough about it, but I'm pretty sure that there's a hazard to it if you create something like that's a rotting car or bicycle or anything metal little billy comes along and gets tetanus off of it because he thought it was something to play on and then cuts himself there has to be some sense of community of it's not just what i'm throwing away what's going to happen to it over wow. the course of 10 rains and winds and rottings and that it's really going to be a, a bed springs coming out of a bed that's fucking evil dangerous. You know yeah. what I mean? Uh, so. Yeah. I, you know, but again, <laughs> a, a lot of the people I live with around here, they have, oh, we'll just burn it. It's trash. We'll just burn it. it too. Exactly. And, and boy, I know we've seen that where you get the scent of leaves. And I know that's itself not a good thing, but a lot of people do it because they don't have a better way to dispose of it. But then you see like you said, that they're actually throwing, you don't even know, old furniture, treated wood. I know I've read about that one. If you're like burning up an old deck because you got a new deck, that old deck wood is loaded with carcinogens of every description yeah. and you're putting it into the atmosphere. Hey, right. everybody, this is the best way I can oh, create a, a hazmat yeah, that, situation. That's nothing. <laughs> uh, the, the auction barn next to us, that half burnt down, and this guy's been working on it for six years, turning it into a house. Why you would want to use burnt cinder blocks as the base for your house, I don't know. I've seen him throw roofing tile, throw plastic, throw just boxes of whatever and then it's like black 
oily smoke into the air. That's and right. I'm like, it I'm breathing treated, this. <laughs> treated to resist the elements. You know, it's got old style creosote, new style, all the electric the, wires. The soup, right? It's got PCBs. It's got phthalates. It's got all the stuff that like one part in a billion can really hurt you. And oh, man, I've said this a number of times in, in like for eight different reasons. I really want to be shocked about the level of selfishness and not caring about your neighbors as evidenced by the COVID pandemic. But man, all you got to do is go back to the first time that somebody saw bubbles in a creek that a whole town makes use of. And whoever the person or company that was doing that, they just did not. Nope, that's not me. That has nothing to do. No, it's obviously your phosphates and you obviously your oil. I can see myself in the water because of all the crap you're putting into it. And they fought against being responsible for that. So there's been those people that really think the ocean is big enough. This creek carries things away forever. They've thought that I don't need to care about it as long as I've dumped it. I've disposed of it. And now we have the Pacific gyre. That's a continent-sized thing of plastic, microplastics. You're showing up in fishes. Kids are now showing up with microplastic because I gave them a tuna fish sandwich. There's things that can get into the environment. And I always like laugh about this, but it's tragic. If I don't see it, I can't see it. It's so small. It doesn't exist. Uh, but that's exactly, you know, that's going to get into a duck. Your body has parts that you can't see. It has effects on you. If it, why did this otherwise huge, healthy moose or bear die? Not because it died of old age, because it swallowed something plastic. It clogged it up. The long-term effects of the chemicals in it killed it. And I don't know how many lessons we have to learn, decades worth of lessons that we still are just in denial about cigarette smoke, about pollution in the environment. This whole thing about global warming, in so many ways, it shouldn't only have been fought about carbon in the atmosphere. Oh, ooh, that's scary. It should have always been fought in the crying Indian way of showing the results of pollution, the the horrible litter, the horrible trash, the septic fields that have been created by mining and metal processing and every other carbon thing, and then say, we just can't do this. Your children are going to have to deal with this. But (laughs) I, I, I get a little harsh, a little black, white, cynical, and I understand that, but there's just too many people that are stupid and uncaring. Just bottom line, if you want to say that, just how many times you drive down the road and you see someone throw their cigarette out or worse, they they take their McDonald's bag and toss it out the window. It's not not mine. Hit the ground and burst and spread it everywhere. And then the wind takes it, except we've talked about this a little bit too. Some part of how we're going to fix the world is not harsher and harsher laws. It's the mimetic war. It's when you had all those great anti-littering advertisements on TV, because Lady Bird Johnson started the thing of let's clean up our highways. We can't be wanting to drive along these like only 10 year old highways from the Eisenhower system. And they already look like dumping fields. So there was like, let's appeal to civic pride. Let's appeal to some reverence for nature. Let's like be members of our community. And those memes fight the selfishness and the unthinking nature that you're talking about so that. Sometimes the only way you get people to do it is out of shame, out of embarrassment that if someone saw me do this, and as we've swung the pendulum that other way, I don't know that it's going to come from yelling at them louder. I think yeah, it's exactly. Like when their little kid chimes in with, oh, daddy, Smokey the Bear says, don't throw that away. There has to be something good like that that can work again. <laughs> you right. Know what I mean? well, you know, so, we have all these celebrities and sports figures that are influencing people, not just kids, adults too, through what they do and the headlines and TikTok and things like that. 
Hey, some of them, more, more of them. Some of them do. You get like you yeah. too. They've always been a big advocate for like human rights and stuff like exactly. that. And they yeah, push the that. A better place. That's yeah. Right. We yeah. talked about Bill Gates and all the things he's doing and stuff. There just needs to be more rather than selfish. Oh, I'm in the spotlight because I bought this $300 million car. That that's their way of doing carbon. I bought this car, so I'm going to make up for it over here. You know, I, I don't know. And again, the mimetic war is like the first time that somebody said nanny state. And so what you had was a picture of someone waving their finger at you. You needed to say, actually, that's the mommy state. All the love that your parents put into raising you about teaching you to be a decent human being. That's your mom saying, clean up after yourself. That's your mom saying, don't litter. It, you know, your mom right. is, there's no one that loves you more. There's no one that wants the future world to be better for you than her. And so that's where that comes from. Sneeze in public. It, it, you, your mom said, cover your mouth. Right. And, and has always said it. And so there's got to be a little bit of jujitsu that's going to like happen still for. <laughs> and I know some of those figures can do that. I think we mentioned a while back, a Dolly Parton with what she does. She gives books to the students and invites them to her house and she reads yeah. to them and it encourages them to read very passively, not forcing it down their throats, not yelling at people or yelling at the parents, just, Hey, here's a book. The kid reads it. It's, you, you, it's Absolutely. that you get on the good path and you keep going, hopefully. That's right. And, and of course, not just talk about it. There's many proofs that say how you act has much more influence than what you say. And so when your kid sees you reading a book, when your kid sees you returning your cart to the cart corral, instead of leaving it to where it's going to bump into exactly. our cart, when your kid sees you like separating food into the appropriate bins so that this is compostable and this is, do you know what I mean? Then those are the habits of a lifetime. I know that how I keep my kitchen clean is because that's how my mom and dad did it. That's how their parents did it. And whenever we are at a restaurant and maybe a fast food restaurant, we're just on the road. So we stop at a subway. And when you see like they didn't bust their own table, they just got, they were done with their meal and left their trash. And it's like, how, man, did you have such terrible parents that they never said, carry your stuff to the kitchen and pour out if you're not going to finish that drink and scrape your plate into the trash. What animals were you raised by that now you're an animal too? I don't know, man. And, that, and I know that sounds so condemning, but I don't know where else do you get I, that. It's not, and, and maybe right. when they go to school and for the first time, they don't have to clean up after themselves. The lunch ladies or the, the table monitor is going to clean up after them. And, and yet this, you still go home and have to do it. So it's, it's not just gone. And this is something <laughs> that I've seen with people um and, and i'm not, not not bad and not condemning but it's just the mindset that gina has felt guilty because she was a single mom for most of her life and had to work long hours and sometimes more than one job so she didn't see her kids as much so when she did see them she didn't want to be pushing and yelling and arguing and oh for two hours and that's all you think of me right but uh, but it went to the part where the kids would make some cereal, leave the box out, not put the dish away. So she would just do it and pick it up because she didn't want to deal with it. And so they got in the habit of mom will just clean up after me. So now yeah. it's like, if I say, Hey, throw your wrapper away, you just open that. You left it sit. That's right. And I know there's some people like that. Like my mother, I had to fight that with her. She always wanted to do everything. And I'm like, I am quite capable of doing this myself, but that's you right. got to reach that self-awareness. Exactly. I, honestly, I, I haven't had that many. I don't know. I had a really good roommate in college. My best friend, Stu, and he was also had a good mom and raised. But when I've been in situations where like anything that you don't do for yourself, I still live here. 
You're right. not saying the magic fairies are going to do this. You're saying, I make you do this. Yes. I'm going to leave this behind. And it, especially, wow, when you go into a kitchen and destroy it, there's no place on the counter to put down a plate. It's, it's not only that it's my choice. I have to do this if I'm going to have any working space here. Same with the bathroom. Same with any other communal room. And so the first time in college, we had that experience of people who don't clean up after themselves, luckily, the tide of, I, I live in a house, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood with a dozen friends. And there were enough pick up after yourself people that they weren't going to cotton to the never pick up after yourself people. So when people like, I don't know, left clothes in the laundry room, they didn't get like nicely folded and put away. They were thrown out on the floor. Yeah. You know what I mean? If you're not going to get in the cycle with everybody else, if you're going to leave, I don't know, dishes on the table next to you where you were watching TV, those dishes didn't go to the sink. They went in the guy's bed. Yeah, weird and petty, but it makes an impression. And they didn't do that multiple times before exactly. everybody started to toe the line about the house has to have some discipline in order to have 12 people live together. I've done things <laughs> like that with the kids, my kids growing up and now stepkids and that, that not clean like the cat litter box. And so I pick up, how are you going to long? You're going to let that go. I exactly. walk to the house and I know that we have cats that poop in a box in my house. I don't want to have that be the first impression. Of the yeah. House. <laughs> you know, so I'll put the litter box on their bed or my, my thing is they all forget. I'm the one with the Wi-Fi password. I can change that at any time. <laughs> Isn't that funny that you actually, you have to do that kind of, I often go to philosophical stuff, prisoner's dilemma. There's a, a well-known philosophical exercise that people that can either cooperate or defect on each other. And that you get a good benefit. If you both cooperate, you can get more if you defect, if you screw the, your person over. Yeah. And that according to that, it's not a single shot. If you live in a house and every single day, people are going to interact again. The person that is the nice one, the mom that cleans up after their kids all the time, they are obligated based on how this system works to defect on the other person the next time, because otherwise they'll never learn. They're right. not going to change their behavior. If they find out I can screw you over and continually get ahead and never pay a penalty. Why would I, as a uh, a resource uh, uh, accumulating right. human being ever do anything but except that right. you have to train them to at least do what a, a reasonable person does. Right. You know what I mean? Even if you feel bad about being well, the, the bad guy. Well, there've been, there been a couple times, even things like you got to take a shower, clean the litter box, take the trash out, pick up this blanket and clothes, yeah. put away the stuff from the wrapper, wipe the counter off. And later it's still not done. And it's okay. We have to run out to the store. Oh, can we come? Because I want some McDonald's. No, you are not coming to get McDonald's. Whoa, those right. little things. And I don't I, mind ever having raised kids. I haven't had to deal with, wow, well, after you have someone to do it 10, 100 times, and they're just not doing it. Does it wear you down? Do you finally give up? Because Colleen has stories about her son, Tim. He was uh, really like smart, but rebellious from an early age. And so a whole bunch of stuff about not wanting to do the reading from school because he already knew it. In many cases, that was true. But then you start, he gets real cunning about just never towing the line about a bunch of stuff. And like what you said, if there's only going to be a certain amount of interacting time, Gina with her children, when you get home for a long day at work, you just don't want to be, now I have to be the disciplinarian. All I'm going to do is always be yelling, correcting, et cetera, et cetera. But you're not doing the world a favor by raising a few. Yes, time. or, or them at I some mean? point later. Yeah. Sometimes they're going to have to deal with other school, people, deal with an employer, deal with just roommates, whatever else it might be. So, what you said about it, it's 
I've read in parenting books that kids do need boundaries. They actually want that. They want, what do you see? I'm straight out of the animal kingdom. Like little galumphy cubs are trying everything. And the parent continually has to say, eat that, don't eat that. This is the way you lurk and pounce. There's all kinds of behavior that they're modeling on. Yeah. And if you don't do that, you've really done them a disservice. You've created I an agree. that doesn't know how to survive in its environment. I don't know. I, I hope that, and getting back to this, is, is, is the world that we're creating, where you keep seeing stuff on the side of the road, a cart not put away, that, I don't know, that, that thing of, hey, and honestly, uh, one, of, one of the things, so Kali and I often point out things that we really love in each other. And any number of times, we've been, we go for our walks at night. And one night we saw a kid like pulling on a tree as if he's trying to break it. And Colleen and her best mom voice said, hey, what are you doing over there? And with that amount of indignation and mom voice, and he had a couple, like uh, two or three girls with him. So he was doing that to be macho. He's the, the idiot young bear that's going to destroy something in order to show how strong he is. And apparently the mom doesn't do that enough that he didn't think, hey, I shouldn't tear a tree out of the ground. Right. But that made an impression while we stood there and watched them. At least they stopped that one time. So it's not that you stopped it forever, but at least for that one starfish, right. we saved it and threw it back into the ocean. You know what I mean? So and, I, I mixed my metaphors. <laughs> and and I, I've come to realize this because you don't remember it. You don't think about it, but kids' brains are wired different. They do see the world different and think different. And sometimes you got to step back and say, are they really doing this because he's destructive and wants to destroy? Or is he just, oh my gosh, I'm nervous around these girls, but hey, I could, that type of thing. Because I just had an incident this morning. It was 25 degrees out there. It was freezing. It was very cold. And Jason was going to get water to feed Hunter, but the tap outside was frozen. It's solid. I would bring it in and get the water inside. Not a problem. He's digging through the cupboard. I'm like, what are you doing? So I'm looking for a wrench. I'm going to yank that. I said, no, it's so cold. It's just go break. And then we're going to have problems. Oh, okay. if he would have done that, he wasn't doing it to be mean. He just wasn't thinking the, the way I would or what I would think he should do. Yeah. Uh, but in his mind, he was doing the right thing because I've shown him other things. Don't just like his big thing is, oh, that's getting worn out and old throw it away. I'm like, it's not that old. So right. a different generation, different thinking. He's the youngest. I can see where he was thinking this is, it's stuck. Something's mm -hmm. got it. But, right. and I'm not saying that kid was like that, but occasionally I do step back. Sometimes it doesn't work. It's like, yeah. what the hell are you doing? <laughs> you know, it's, it's a lot of this is not only about raising kids. It's just, how do you live in your life? I've been in charge of any number of teams and groups over the course of time. And you have to make a decision. And sometimes you do it by taking a poll. What does everybody think? And you let a vote do it. Oftentimes, what I would say is, so what are the principles we're operating out of here? And you try to crystallize. It's a matter of like free, perfect, and now, if you will. What's the cost of it? And how good do you have to get? What does it cost to go from excellent to perfect? And what's the urgency of it? And that you can put a price tag on all those things. And being able to get that kind of mentality of another way is Iraqis. It's a matter of increased revenue, avoided cost, improved service. And you look at those things and then you let that guide you towards, I put a number on each of these things because that's right. how you can compare and you made a decision. And it's not only that you've made a decision, it's that when someone asks you how you made the decision, you can describe it. And that when you, if something goes really right or really wrong, you can do more of the right. Or if it goes wrong, you can say, so I made the best decision that I could at the time, but then new information came out. And so that's why we don't have to play the blame game of, 
going back and saying, what a stupid thing. No, we did the best we could, but then you build in a feedback loop that lets you monitor how well it did. I can't tell you every out of every team, there's at least 20% that are just impatient. They don't want to think <laughs> of what principles are we operating out of? What's the methodology that we could use here? Is there a heuristic? Can we learn from experience? All those kinds of things. They just, they're perpetually winging it or no matter what you can say, you, you look at this and this and those three yeses lead to this big yes. And they get to the big yes and say, I don't want to do that. There's no choice. If what you're saying is that this matters and this matters, and it leads to this kind of invariably, give me something that's going to say how you refute it, not just your rebelliousness, your stubbornness. Or for that matter, you must have had this in your teams. So we made a decision and we're going forward. And every team meeting after that for months, they want to revisit that issue. And it's always like, so do you have any new information? Do you have any new way of looking at the factors that we use to make that decision? And if you don't, then we're not even going to open the discussion. There's nothing to redo here except you don't like it. And right. you don't liking it is nothing. It's only an opinion. It's not even a learned opinion. Everybody else, you know what I mean? Yeah. But having said that, living a principled life makes you sound like, are you a churchy guy? Are you a, are you a stick in the mud that everything <laughs> has to have? It's weird to just say, aren't you thoughtful? Don't you want to have? And honestly, this has been how weird this has been to find this in Mensa, where I really thought that everybody was rational. And if you put together yeah, well, a little spreadsheet of here's the factors that matter, and here's the weights, and here's the how much each of those things is true, in brief, you're going to pick a hotel as to where you might want to have a meeting. And in most cases, it's what will matter, that they have um, reasonable room rates, and you have the meeting space that you need, and that it has a reasonable parking lot, and there are certain factors, those are most important, and it might matter that you have a swimming pool or a workout thing or a nice lobby. But in the overall, I would trade 10 nice lobbies for having a good room rate for 300 right. guests. And so that's what you do. And yet I can't tell you how many meetings I've been in where all that matters to somebody is the parking lot well lit. Oh. They've got some trauma that says they were once accosted in a parking lot and they're scared of the dark. So we, we can look into that, but that's not how we're going to make the decision. Right. Or the ones where they say, <laughs> this one gives us a free cookie. So let's go with it, even though it's $50 more. <laughs> and magnify that tiny little factor into something. Yeah. And it's funny, even to get to that methodology, I've had to actually have this huge conversation and not in Chicago so much, but there's an event that takes place always on the 4th of July. Okay, we have a really good offer from another hotel that says we can get room rates half off if we do it on July 10th instead of July 4th. And that's that really that sacrosanct thing of it's always on the 4th of July that they want to make a litmus test. It's there or it's not, and that it helps to carve off, exclude a whole bunch of hotels. If someone came to you with a deal that softened all these really important factors but said, except it's not the 4th, that a lot of people, some people will fight tooth and nail that none of these things can matter as much as that. And others will just do that little chin scratch and say, wow, that's really persuasive. And I got to tell you, I hate this. Any number of people that really fought for the 4th of July being sacred, when they find out that it's something other, another factor that really matters to them, let's have it at Disney World, but they don't have July, they have August. Oh, I guess we're doing it in August now. You just fought. You just right. fought like a it, fucking animal I, years ago. How I can't be anything except this. Oh, man. I, it, it, it's weird because uh, the way my brain works, a lot of times things are just completely logical. That's if it makes sense, because that's the logical way, whether it's right, wrong, or the best, or I like, or whatever, it's just what's logical. And sure. how many times at companies I've worked with, people I've worked with, it's okay, wait. Why are we doing it this way? That's the way we've always done it. 
Oh, okay, but that doesn't make sense. There's a better way to do it. No, this is how we've always done it. But this is better. And, and what's interesting is there's, of course, generational transition happening in any number of organizations, not, not every company, not just men. And I really like the youthful spirit of we want to do it a, a new way. There's now it's everybody's got a phone, so we don't have to worry about do we have a website or whatever right. else it might be. But having said that, there's any number of times that they just embrace the new without realizing what they're giving up or that it really might not be a better way. It's just their way because that's the one that they know. And then even opening that discussion it's not really about the thing, the decision being made. It's almost like generational conflict. You're only doing that because you are indeed. It's always been done this way. Right. No, I'm saying that I want to be able to explain how did we stop doing something that has worked successfully for 30 years to shift to this. It shouldn't just be we rolled the dice and did no. There should be some persuasive thing that said, and the persuasive things are, we do want to appear modern. You know what I mean? Don't right. put things on paper that you can do on a web because now everyone has a smartphone. Everybody can get to a website, whatever else. But having said that, in order to make that, if you really are trying to be inclusive and you can't count on everyone having a smartphone, are you going to make smartphones available to the guests that don't have one? Or are you right. going to say the people that really prefer paper that there's not going to be any paper available? And I know some of those are really petty examples, but in other cases, it's, and you know, we just, hey, it's an investment time. Now we've got a new way. What, what was the way to figure out someone's credit score? These big companies, Experian, uh, they had ways of tracking all of your financial history, and they came up through an arcane algorithm with your credit score. And you had to go to the Oracle and say, I've cleaned that up. I, I paid that off. I don't have it. And, and then you get a better score. Now there's new ones that are saying based on that same data, but treating it in an AI way that doesn't have any preconceptions about anybody that has debt is a bad person because that's not the way the Puritans did it. You, you know what I mean? Right. I there yeah. were <laughs> big assumptions built into some of these algorithms that get revealed over the course of time. When I was trying to get a house and was told you have to pay off this student loan in order to really be in the top category for getting a good mortgage. You mean I got to pay off this half a percent student loan in order to get into an 8% mortgage? What sense does that make? Oh, your <laughs> algorithm. I, I, having said all that, it really is interesting to just talk to people about how they think. Most people, they're stimulus default engines. They take something in and they do it because I, that's the first way I did it, or that's why my parents taught me to do it, or learned it in school, or it's just it's a matter of not of rationality, but a matter of fear or of pursuit of delight. And when you really ask people to think about how they think, that's its own battle. Yeah. To be able to get people to say, tell me how you made that decision, which just right. popped into right. my head. It just, that's what my mom and dad always did. Right. But your mom and dad grew up in a time of, you know what I'm trying to say. And it, 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 <laughs> it all ties back around to the... Uh, earlier discussion with recycling. My parents didn't recycle. I don't. My parents threw trash out the window. I do. They buried things. They burned things. So and if you had parents that actually changed with the times, that gives you that thing of, yeah. they weren't only set in their it, way. They did actually change. You know I mean? It goes so. back to our discussion uh, about that study about openness, open the new ideas and thoughts well, and, and activities. That's yeah. right. That's right. And in fact, it, 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 honestly, you're often the one that does the very smart segues, but I'll try to jump in the one. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know about your... very smart segments. <laughs> well, but you know, the, the, uh, I heard Neil Stevenson speak. Yes, yeah, so I was going to ask you about that. And what his, his if, for me, his claim to fame in the world of science fiction and speculative fiction is he's really smart at taking what do we have now and what's possibilities for the future and tweaking it a little bit to make it interesting, a little bit maybe out of what people haven't thought of before, but then following that to its logical conclusion, sometimes logical extremes. And he talked about that last night, you know, like the, the new book, 
is uh, called Termination Shock. It's about global warming, but it isn't about us now and fighting it and the, the situation we're in. It's after it's already happened. When he, his first part of his talk, he did a talk and then some Q&A. And the first part of the talk was a whole bunch of historic things about when we've had similar conditions apply that a volcano went off and it put so much ejecta into the atmosphere that we had the year with no summer. The sun was so occluded by ash in the atmosphere that crops failed in Europe because something went off in at Pinatubo or something like that. Or a year where three volcanoes went off and one of them was in Iceland quite close. And how much of an impact it had, and back then we didn't have instantaneous, wow, because of Krakatoa, this is going to happen. It was much more people just like, when's the sun going to come out? Are the gods mad with us? We angered, yeah. Exactly. And so when he talks about the kinds of things we're going to be seeing happening in the world because of global warming, we are going to have the things we're already seeing in terms of more severe weather, both droughts and floods, the changes in the, the weather patterns so that what if we do get the North Atlantic current that has warmed Europe for hundreds, if not a thousand years, what if that shifts? And for its northerly latitude, Europe should not be as viable for agriculture as warm in its seasons as it is and that's because of the north Atlantic current what if that stops and he's just got all kinds of and you know, big and small the perfect existing conditions exist now for fire ants to be much more of a problem than they currently are because they're going to get driven out of where they currently are they're going to go to elevation to escape flood water where do people put their houses in town you know elevation how do you deal with a thousand fire ant cases in the hospitals instead of two or three right and, just all those and, and told in a way that like, I care about the people that are going through this. I care about this is how will you deal with something that seems like nature gone wild, but it's not <laughs> nature gone wild. We have leverages. We have levers if we want to use them to try to get back to this, but it's also, but it's going to take a hundred years to do it. And people care about the next quarter, not the next hundred years. And so what a, a horrible, difficult problem we've already confronted ourselves with. Yeah. Um, and so the reason for saying all that is he's very thoughtful in his books. And, and it's funny, the introduction to him was wonderfully flattering because it's a lot of truth. He, it, how, what a polymath he is so much evidenced in how many big topics he's tackled the Victorian era and what it ha- would have happened if uh, technology shifted slightly about how cryptography is going to affect things about, and crypto coinage about different uh, non-international, it is non-country currencies this latest one about global warming. And so I, one of the things I asked him was, I, I had a chance to ask him the question, ooh, are you a big guy in the red shirt? Thank you, Neil. It was, so you really might be like both the next guy after Tesla that knew a lot of how the world worked. Nowadays, people silo and it's over-specialized, but he's really this polymath. Just the day before I went to see this talk, there was a little article in the Week magazine, this week magazine of, hey, give us your reading list. And Neil Stevenson was the author. And instead of it being, honestly, the latest pop confection of, hey, here's how to organize your closet, or here's a nice story about two girls getting, it was, here's this philosopher, here's this psychologist, here's heavyweight works, and his books, if you've ever seen them, they're heavyweight, they're tones. They're they're, they're like, they really explore a subject, and they really, um, they don't stint on vocabulary, they don't stint on descriptive stuff, and not, uh, as they say, florid prose. They're just really, wow, there's a whole bunch of different ways to look at this jeweled thing, all the facets. And so uh, what I, all this is getting to, he mentioned a very cool project that he had invo- been involved with called the Constitution of Knowledge. Is that correct? I think it is. And it's at maybe 
openbooks.org. There's a book that's like an independent bookstore type place. And they said, what are the things that you're reading to be, to get all the benefit of the past, stay current with now. There's been great, any number of books that were the great books of the world. And if you're trying to be a a learned person, you want to read um, Plato and Socrates. You want to read Kant and and Kafka. You want to read, and you want to read uh, The Invisible Hand by Adam Smith. And this is their current version of it. And he's very cool because he drops into, I got involved with this because my friend, you know, Mike Godwin gave me a call and, and him and Ann Applebaum were working on it. It's like, you mean Godwin's like from Godwin's Law, Godwin, you know, revered on the internet with any discussion. That, so it's the fact that he travels in these cool circles and has wonderful, smart people that he associates with. And they're continually pinging, bouncing, sharing information and trying to like inform each other, impress each other. I, I haven't, I, I can't believe I didn't go out before we even had our podcast this morning to go to the Constitution of Knowledge. And like, that should be my reading list for the rest of my life. Yeah. One of the things that I really should read to be, this is what framed modern psychology, modern economic theory, and, and if anything, to understand the past, when they talk about the first book that described the elements, how did we get to the periodic table, Mendeleev and so forth, that I find it very cool to go back and read the original because you have to put it into that wonderful context of, they didn't know how everything worked. They didn't know that pitch blend had uranium that was radioactive and it has these benefits, but also these harms. There's all kinds of stuff that we've over the course of time discovered. How does mercury work? How do antibiotics work? And when you read before that, there still was all kinds of, it's a miracle. It's, it's the work of, you know what I mean? It's, it's the work right. of God. It's, right. uh, it's luck, whatever else it might be. So it's not only about learning the knowledge, it's about learning how to learn. It's about being able to put yourself into the minds. He had great reference to Newton and Leibniz were like very much contemporaries, born within two years of each other. And one invented the calculus and they they really had vast scientific breakthroughs, but they hated each other. And so is that a good thing in terms of whether they're very competitive and they criticize each other's work? But it's also, if they would have collaborated, could we have gotten even faster to cool things? And I love that you have that. I, I love when I see those timelines and wow, at the same time that in Europe, not only, but the Chinese were inventing gunpowder at the same time that these guys were inventing siege weapons, but they didn't both have them. And so it makes for interesting speculative fiction, but it just also helps to say, wow, there really were a whole bunch of different civilizations that had deep languages, deep religions, deep economic systems and so forth. And so this, the, the white male European um, perspective is very important because we really have changed the world our colonization and our continued progress compared to a civilization that didn't have a written language and so couldn't store information and spread information widely. That's why one is not the right term, but it sure is why when there were differences between, so your information only gets done because they tell the stories around a campfire or sing a song about it, as opposed to movable type Gutenberg, they win. Now that information can be everywhere. And it might be there's going to be some restrictions because the church doesn't want it all to get out or because there's a learned elite that doesn't want it to get out to the little man or whatever else. We still have that. Boy, <laughs> and, and, and it's just the fact that this thing should have made the entire world better. Nope. Immediately there are, here's the ways, reasons why it won't. Here's the reason right. why there is still restriction. But he really seems to have that wonderful kind of brain that's able to put himself back into those times or move himself into the future. And, and like I said, extrapolate, just guess but make it so that it's a believable guess. And then you get to decide, well, I like the utopian future. I don't like the dystopian. So straight out of Global Business Network, which I think I've spoken of before, they did scenario planning. 
They didn't say, this is the way the world's going to go. Here's the 10 ways the world could go. And you want to pick the ones you like and avoid the ones you don't. And then what are the leverage points? What are the inflection points in history that you want to make sure a good government gets elected here? This invention gets circulated widely. This one gets suppressed. It's very cool to play golf a little bit and say, when we've made those choices, when have we made them good? That is soundly, the world got better. We, we had life expectancy get better because of public health and because of anti-bac- you know, antibacterials and stuff like that. Not because we invented a new religion. Uh, and, and that's what a terrible direct comparison, but maybe it's done things for the solace of people and maybe for the control of people, but perpetually the arc of civilization that we've expanded to be who we are today, able to go to another planet, maybe soon, able to like increase crop yields by a hundredfold compared to subsistence farming, that didn't come because you guessed, because you prayed, because you stumbled right. through it. The scientific method of experimentation and improvement and capture, I, I don't want to give up on that. That's gotten us a real good distance in all kinds of important ways. Yeah. And refuting it now to say, no matter what you tell me about vaccines, I just choose to not believe it. That's so much like you just said the enlightenment that happened that got us out of the dark ages, that made it that human beings were all human beings worthy of life and equality and so forth you you want to abandon that make a case well, for that. tell uh, me uh, why <laughs> yeah exactly and now so, some of the people we were talking about earlier that throw things out windows don't recycle they should read these books but they don't that's the problem and stevenson he's in that same group as like uh michael Crichton taking some known stuff science. Yeah. Exactly. yeah or even a harry turtle dove he does it more with like history and changing what could have happened you're exactly right i love speculative fiction that really doesn't just say what if uh, cell phones were twice as fast it's more huge shift in what if this big battle went the other way and right. the world shifted from yeah. the nazis won what, you know what wow. if uh, you know? <laughs> red dawn really happened what exactly. would we really do yeah yeah so but i Termination Shock, a copy of that book was given out as part of your ticket to this thing. So I've just started nice. to read it and already it's high. I want to know what happens. Any book that immediately, it's not just some, what, what makes for a quality read. Characters you care about, situations you want to see how they unravel, a little bit of a mystery that it's right, right in my sweet spot of, I care about how the world's going to go. You know what I mean? The, right. the, some of the early stuff in the book is about feral hogs. I have no experience with feral hogs because I've lived in suburbs all my life. <laughs> and yet I get how species invasiveness i've seen that we had to worry about asian carp in illinois we have to worry about when the cicadas return every 17 years that's a newsworthy phenomenon but that's not the same as locusts just devoured a third of the crop in africa and why did how did how in the world did that happen and they go into that so well let's avoid that how about if we find ways to stop malaria stop locusts from sweeping through and it's not only a matter of i don't know spray more ddt on them it's, can we have a little thing that's going to make it that it turns all the males sterile? You know what I mean? It's cool the way that, so some speculation, the, the way that this book, a big thing that happens in this book is that um, a, a, a billionaire, a plucky billionaire says, I, we can't wait. All the discussions that are happening with the various different players that have multiple agendas that are not having to do with the continuation of our society. You must have seen the cartoons that said, Sure, we now all you know live in hovels like cavemen, but for a long time we created shareholder value in those last few beautiful years. He talks about this guy just said, I'll solve it. He shoots a whole bunch of sulfates into the atmosphere, which do indeed cause global cooling. 
but also come down as acid rain. So they head off the, the heating of our planet based on uh, carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide, but with unexpected consequences because it's not evenly distributed. Some places get worse floods or worse droughts. Some, and and it, the fact that it's cavalier, it didn't go through the committee process and the government process. He had the money to be able to act as if he's his own independent nation. And so then there's, I haven't read this far, are there going to be huge protests? Is he going to be like condemned? Is he got, what's going to happen with him? But there's also people that they saved the world because of that. I'm the one that grabbed the, when the library at Alexandria was being destroyed, someone grabbed some stuff so that we have some history <laughs> that we now maintain then. And at the time that was a heretic action. That was yeah. totally rebellion. And yet over the course of time, we've seen people that, wow, I think I got a cure for smallpox and no one believes me. I'm going to inject myself and maybe I'm going to create a, a, a horrible hazard. And yet if it works, I just saved the world. That's a pretty standard Star Trek or yeah. science Mission Impossible lot. too. You know what I mean? It, it, not only the law of bravery, but the laws of unexpected consequences and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so he's using kind of one of those fictional tropes of someone took a stand. And maybe they were right, and maybe they were wrong. <laughs> so we'll, uh, I don't know. Uh, Stevenson <laughs> is definitely one of the authors I enjoy reading. I didn't yeah. know he had a new one out. So there's our, we'll put a link. There's our big book recommendation. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's funny, as you go back to look at the rest of his books, he didn't, uh, and I should have mentioned this earlier, he had Snow Crash, Zodiac, The Diamond Age, The Baroque Cycle, Cryptonomicon, all kinds. Of, I'm not sure which ones I'm missing. Those won't become his, his earliest ones. Right. Power. In Snow Crash is where he first used the term the metaverse. Right. And gosh, what did FB just do? Facebook just became meta platforms. And I hope that he's getting a nice chunky residual. Right. <laughs> I don't think that, so how am I being so foolish? Who created the term cyberspace? Gifford. It was like uh, uh, Gibson. Gibson. William Gibson, exactly. And so sometimes the contribution to the world isn't, I own that term now, but it's more, wow, he created an entire new genre of fiction to imagine a a real space in a virtual place and that people live in it and, and all that kind of stuff. So that'll be one of his big contributions I that he created the metaverse. How do you deal with when people are starting to have augmented reality and virtual reality and that they actually prefer it to the world <laughs> and that places create those things? So I'm, I'm curious to see what's going to happen with Facebook really putting so much money and muscle behind the idea of the metaverse. Are we going to start seeing everybody well, having VR goggles? They own you know? Oculus. So they're creating so, oh, virtual worlds and yeah. stuff. Yeah. You'll get into the, the cyberspace world and they'll have advertising. It'll look just like we've seen in just the movies. Just like Blade Runner, just yep. like Cowboy Bebop, just yep. like, exactly. Yep. I just started watching, by the way, and I find very fun in, in a terrible kind of dystopic way. Here's the, what's the biggest satellite floating around the planet? The casino. <laughs> Did you watch the uh, uh, manga series, the cartoon? Cowboy no, I've, I'm oh. only watching the um, live action movie, never having done that. And I'm feeling a little bit, well, I should get the backstory and I should see how they translate it. But some part of me want, just want to say, I don't want to do all the work of that. I just want to dive into the new series and see what they're doing. Yeah. And then maybe I'll go back and reread, not reread, read what? the manga and say, oh, they left out some good stuff. Or, oh, they really did trim a whole bunch of crap that is better in the new series. You know what I mean? Right. So. I, I, I like <laughs> it. I always liked Cowboy Bebop. It was one of my favorites because it had that, actiony noir jazzy feel but it was like a space opera so it was firefly uh, that's a great way so. to put it space opera you know what i mean that they the, the same rebels that can't handle life here on earth where would they go if they if it becomes available they'll go out to the stars 
I am my own man out here. I got to deal with a certain amount of authority. But if I find an asteroid that is full of Smurfite and I can sell it for a lot, I just, there's a certain kind that are explorers. The, the right. Pike, Pete, Kit, Carson people that right. wants to map new territory. And so, so there, there, yeah, I, I haven't watched <laughs> the movie or series yet, but I, I like the old cartoon animated. Yeah. Uh, okay. So there's Neil Stevenson. How is Kansas? Oh man, it was so good. <laughs> that was oh Stephen, and thank good you. Night. Yes. So Colleen and I took a little road trip this weekend. I Marietta, Ohio, was about three hours away, and so it's all the way at the you know, bottom state, the uh, bottom of Ohio on the Ohio River. It was once the capital. Back when we were first right. colonizing, the People's Bank Theater is a beautiful place that has been um, revived and made beautiful at a great venue again. And so we've seen a couple shows there over the course of time that it's worth the drive. We make it into that weekend of let's go down there. Let's go on a paddle wheeler on the Ohio or Miscungum River. Let's go hiking, et cetera. Kansas were in such great form. There's only two of the original members left, Rich Williams, the guitarist, and Philly Hart, the drummer. But the people they've got to replace them are virtuoso musicians. And uh, you can't, I can't believe it. Steve Walsh's voice is very Kansas. It's very much what I think of when I think of Kansas. And yet Ronnie Platt, I believe is the guy's name. He really fills the shoes very well, very strong, captures the emotion and the, you got to be able to sing both very personal and very like orchestral big songs. When you're doing Icarus Born on Wings of Steel or The Wall or Carry On Wayward Son, you got to have the chops to be able to do this anthem, this perfect, powerful song. And so we heard I, they did the, the the tour is like what was the 40th anniversary. Now I think it's the 43rd because they continue to tour with it. <laughs> Point of no return, which is a great Kansas album. It's got yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, portrait and he knew and hopelessly human and nobody home and dust in the wind and and that point of no return. A lot of those got great airplay and they really did them just the way you wanted to hear them live. That it's like the album, but it's got extra energy. It's got and it wasn't you know like hey now it's time for the jazz interlude. But they really didn't just go through the motions. They really seem to be themselves enjoying it. Kansas music is intricate enough that you really have to have a tight band that can do things in 13-8, things that have you know multiple key changes in the course of the song and stuff. And of course, I was playing every air drum, air guitar, air keyboard. We were in the second to last row because we got tickets just to get into the place. But I also got things that were right at the top of one of the VOMs, one of the openings that the stairs go down. So Nobody in front of me to stand up to get in front of Colleen, who is petite, right. and a railing that I could play. <laughs> and then people behind me after the show was over, we loved watching you. <laughs> because you were so, you knew, I, I know all their music. Love their, every, and, and not only did they play the hits, they played all kinds of wonderful um, obscurities and new stuff. And so I was able to sing Lonely Wind with the very first album. And we were masked up, so I wasn't like, Oh, stop singing louder than the band, Al. Don't be a dick. I just, it, and they played two hours and 20 minutes without a break. Wow. So and, and for some of the band is be in their late 60s. I mean, yeah. Too, and I think I got, they got a couple of years on me. It was everything I wanted it to be. It wasn't just going through the motions. It wasn't the nostalgia tour with, oh, they got one of the original roadies and he bought the name. <laughs> they were still, honestly, such at the height of their powers. And, I'm just so I was on air walking out of that show. And that's what I mentioned. Me and a buddy went and saw Sebastian Bach from Skid Row. And we were talking a bit about how rock and roll isn't dangerous anymore. And that kind of is it right there. You you don't have that energy when it's one person with some dancers and canned music. You you miss the energy. Man, when they like how many of their songs really they have structure to them. They 
start off they're, they're a little bit maybe power ballad they start off slow they build and build they get to a crescendo they actually have a little code at it, the end it there's just like you're just taking on a journey that it, you're just such pleasure you know, journey's a different band I know. <laughs> you're taking a journey to kansas it's it's that classic rock it's it's the almost uh theater rock performance rock opera stuff they have that the chops but the sticks same exactly type of and a very good like stage presence they had they had great lighting they had great backdrops where they had the the little seed dragons the as part of the heads from right. point of no return they did very cool things with highlighting the right people and it being in sync with what they were doing but not slavishly so so that he had to go into robot mode in order to keep with them. it was honestly i was really happy and when you see and the crowd was really pretty good a little bit too few Everybody jamming like I was. Somebody's like watching their cell phone, not recording it, checking their email. What what fucking show are you at that how you much, can tune this beautiful thing out? You're how in much this, did this. you pay to see this? Honestly, some people left early. It's because they haven't gotten to point to no return left. And how much of a fair weather fan are that you didn't recognize Icarus Born on Wings of Steel? Song for America. I can't believe I didn't mention that as the first song that I like. If you've ever heard Song for America, yeah. it is. <laughs> Beautiful, but epic. tear-breaking. It is epically good. It was the first time I ever saw Kansas live. It's the first song they played. I saw them at the Randhurst Ice Arena in like 75 or 76. So I've got 45 years of Kansas under my belt. And and they just, that whole, boom. It just is immediately the riff that draws you in. And then it just builds and every instrument comes in. And just, there's more and more music and power. And so when they did that, and it, oh, oh the fact that people can still tune that out, I'm glad that it wasn't, I don't know, one of them was right in front of Colleen and we actually moved her one seat over so that she wouldn't have to deal with it. And somehow I have that ability to just compartmentalize and <laughs> put the fucking blinders on because I can't believe you're checking your email and I'm right. so determined to enjoy the show that I'm just not going to let her spoil the show for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? I so, don't get people, man. <laughs> one other thing that was cool was and then you get out and you're full of energy. And like downtown Marietta has fun things, but everything's closed. But I had discovered, because I always do this, what's going on in Marietta? Oh, the tree lighting ceremony was that same night. We were past that because we got out at 11 o'clock or something like that. But then we walk a couple blocks over and like, good. I wanted a block in the nice cold, crisp air. And then here's this beautiful bunch of lights and here's the beautiful tree and stuff. And it just was, this is small town America. This was a big thing for them. Whoever wasn't in Kansas, they were probably here. <laughs> and we, while we were there, we ate at... Tonya's Country Kitchen. We ate at the Busy Bee for, for our breakfast. You know, we went to a place called the Boathouse Barbecue. And so it wasn't just let's go to IHOP. You make a point of finding the places that this place has been open for 45 years. Now it's second generation. They, nice. they, how you doing when you come in and stuff like that? I We really had a nice time, safe enough so that we got in there sat far enough away from people you could take your mask off and not be well i really enjoyed that concert and that's what i died that's from. the last so, one you're you know, gonna exactly, see yeah, yeah. masks on and all that kind of stuff so we were still smart about that the next day we went down to tamarack which is a very cool marketplace in west virginia that has all kinds of arts and crafts and so many things it's the perfect place to go to before christmas because all the people that you don't know what you want to get you're going to find something, find something. Cool <laughs> <laughs> so we found little fun things we found one thing a, a wonderful thing we found a little step stool like it's a, a little bench with a little handle that comes up so that we can have it in the kitchen tucked under the kitchen table but when colleen needs to reach the higher things in cabinets it's not just how 
she can get to them now. And we've talked about having something like that, but what fits our kitchen, what would you not get in the way while it's useful? Right. This was the perfect combination. It was just, it's nice when you serendipitously find something that's going to fill a need you've had for a long time. And it's actually pretty. And it's, and it's, I don't know. So we had real good success with that. I know I'm going on now, but then we went to the New River Gorge, which is really cool because it's the newest national park, the 63rd, if I remember correctly. Wow. And once once you're down there, it's, it's probably another two hours and 15 to get to Tamarack, but then it's only 20 minutes, 20 minutes to the New River Gorge. But of course, it's West Virginia. So getting there is not, it's 20 miles. It's not 20 <laughs> minutes. And so we ended up just going, at first, we let our GPS give it a try, but the, our Garmin, it really is, okay, I'm going to get you the fastest way. And all of a sudden, the fastest way turned into like lane and a half roads, and there's not a fence that's not going to, uh, you know, right. go down the freaking cliff. And we, I think we need to not go to where the hiking that we wanted to do, because this is really, I'm white knuckled about this and kind yeah. hate it even more than I do. So we got back out to a main road and we went up to the New River Gorge Bridge, which is the largest arch bridge in the Western Hemisphere. So it's a, you know, you get there and you get to go to the visitor center and then there's a whole bunch of stairs, 178 steps, as the sign said, to take you down to the observation platform that there's this architectural marvel that it turned a 45 minute switchback road, et cetera, et cetera, to get from one side of this valley and up to the other to a 45 second drive across this beautiful bridge. And so we got some walking in, we got some hiking and walking and that kind of stuff. And then I think I mentioned before, we were going to go to Ogle Bay, which is where they have a real cool the lights display. But having gone what we did to go down to Tamarack and get to here, we then looked at, okay, the most direct route is to take like either 76 or it must be 79 up. And it's three and hours and 45 minutes away. And it's already for something. And so we're going to get up there and eight, we want to get up there because it'll be dark by then. But if the roads are any kind of stuff, like what we had to deal with, I just didn't want two out of those four hours to be white knuckle driving and it started to like rain slash snow and driving at night in that. And so I just, Colleen, I think that I would be okay with kind of going back. And she like fell on me in a hug because she was so much not looking forward to this was our itinerary and we're going to go. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I've been there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> but I have a question. I, honestly, I didn't think and realize that they still are making national parks. So how do they go this about deciding that? The New River Gorge is very interesting because it really is something worthy of preservation. It has geological and historic significance, like how West Virginia came to be a mining power, how it, how the railroads all, there's all kinds of stuff that goes through West Virginia. That's not I've been whitewater matter. rafting down there. Well, exactly. The New River is known for having the, the best whitewater rafting besides the Colorado and maybe more extensive, like class five, where you really are right, life yeah. in your hands type rafting. I don't think that's in the park. I think that's outside so they can maintain all the commercial stuff that's been set up to do those pontoon boaty type things. But it's like Great Smoky Mountain National Park where, because it's got the gorge, it's got multiple ecosystems based on depth into, um, so you've got a, a huge variety of plant life, animal life, so forth. They have all these different towns that came up to be, this is where the railroad first opened it up. And so the McKell family did all this investing and reaped a whole bunch of benefit from, from taping the bituminous coal that was the, the quote, smokeless coal. But then when you get to non-bituminous, they kept going. And so it turned it. If when I had been in Virginia and West Virginia previous, we had gone to a place called Oregon Cave. Really beautiful. I love spelunking. You wouldn't think for a big guy like me, but I love it. And then as we were going along the river road to go through it, 
beautiful. And then all of a sudden you emerge into where they had done all that mining and it was blighted and blasted and slag heapy and all that kind of stuff. And so, wow, I here's hoping that they don't just continue to do this all along the new river because this beautiful cathedral of nature is getting screwed over, yeah. destroyed by doing this. And so somebody must have said, that was, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago that I was there. All the people said, it really is encroaching too much now. There really are these terrible pools of slag that when they go sliding down the mountainside because they finally break through their, their it destroys the entire environment because that's as toxic as you can get yeah. is mining tailings. So somebody finally convinced them. And I'm sure that the convincing thing was not only, hey, we revere nature. It was also all that land that's pretty valuable, but you can't use for mining anymore. If the government buys it, you'll get a pretty penny for each mile right. <laughs> and we will preserve it. And so whatever combination of things had to happen, I, other national parks have been created because honestly, the Rockefellers owned all the grantees. Right. They gave it to the government as so long as it's maintained never to be sold again, but to be a national preserve. Something must have happened similar here where some land was already in public trust, but not a lot because it really had been much developed. So then they got a good price for their land and they it, it is along a, a main section of the New River, but not entirely. Whatever deal, lots of deals were cut to make I'm this sure. happen. Kind of Cuyahoga Valley. Before the New River, Cuyahoga Valley was, I remember not fifth, number 59 compared to 63. They had to do all kinds of, and maybe Shenandoah as well. I just read a little thing that in the Shenandoah, when they made it out of all those private parcels of land, they grandfathered in anybody who lived there that they could stay there, even though it was not public land. And the last person like died off in 1998. Wow. I'm not sure how Shenandoah has been along, around, but I think it's some 70 or 80 years. So someone was a teenager there and kept living all the way till they just wow. died the last one. So it's very cool. There's a number of interesting, bear with me, Ken Burns has a great series about um, national parks, America's best idea. And it not only describes what makes each of these parks wonderful and unique, this is the best desert. Here's the geysers, here's the Everglades, whatever else it might be. It's how they came to be. And you hear about all the stories that there's a certain amount of wonderful public spiritedness, and there's a certain amount of wheeling and dealing and wangling <laughs> and screwing in order to get yeah. this thing to come to be. <laughs> yeah. And especially in the aftermath of Trump having getting rid of stuff of that, yeah. having said this is we don't care about the preserve now you can have mining rights we've been up to theater roosevelt national park where the drilling the fracking that's going on is right outside the boundaries of the park and so it used to be that it was great night sky country now that whole section is nothing but all the flames all the light that's coming off from the 24 hours seven day a week camps that are extracting things from which one is it the burgess shale there's different shale fields that were on the edges of the oceans that used to cover some part of North America. And that's why they have all this good stuff. Sometimes it's limestone, sometimes it's oil <laughs> that it's despoiled it. Yeah. You know what I mean? We that's... stayed in Dickinson, if I remember correctly. And besides our little hotel room, every other hotel room is taken up with people that are making their hundreds of thousands of year working in terrible hazardous conditions. And they have no place to stay because Dickinson is a tiny place. It's, 40, 50 miles outside of where the mining is. But as that radius expanded outwards from where they're doing their job, little mountain towns started to get overwhelmed. And I, because we always talk with our new friends at the locals and stuff like that. And one of the women volunteered used to be that it was like a little mountain town, crafty, hippie, go hiking. And now there sure is a lot of prostitution here. 
Oh, because all those young, you know, <laughs> 25 year old men who are making big money and have natural needs. And they're, if they're not drinking, they're wild west town. And so she talked about, she doesn't let her daughters out anymore wow. <laughs> for fear that they're not that it's a business deal, but that it's a terrible taking situation. Yeah. And yeah. it just has transformed the town in bad way. Wow. Oh, all anecdotal. I don't know really what has happened. They must have been some handling of it can't just become lawless. It can't just be that right. everybody is drive, drinking and driving and whoring and whatever else it might be. But yeah. <laughs> that's some of the reasons of preserving the national parks is because they really do have things not found anywhere. And then if you find oil there too, somebody just says, wow, you know that beautiful half dome? I can we just dig under money. a little bit. Yeah. Money. Exactly. Oh, yeah. well. oh well. <laughs> so okay, so we went to our first Christmas thing this weekend. We went over to yeah. Cranax, which yeah. I, I think you've been to Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, Hermitage. Okay. They have a Christmas tree display uh, with all these decorated Christmas trees, and it's very yeah. fun and pretty to walk through. And then they have all these cool toys and stuff. But we stayed for it the like a magnet for crafters and stuff like yes. that. Yes. No, if you're gonna do. 90% of your sales in, in two months. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. But then very they cool. had a Christmas parade that we stayed for. It was very cold, but it was way fun. And I'll tell you, I go to a lot of parades. I've seen a lot. I've been to the one in New Orleans they had recently. That boy, that's <laughs> how do you beat a New Orleans parade? I mean, this one I liked better, honestly. Wow. The small little okay. one in Hermitage, because yeah. in New Orleans, I was disappointed because 90% of it was just people with Jeeps. At, that they decorated or they danced behind or something. And it was like, okay. eh. and they pseudo had these floats, but only, yeah, okay. not even really pseudo floats, but they uh, did have some really big floats that were well done, but they're like permanent floats. So I'm assuming it's the same floats all the time. I this, show about that where they house them in a warehouse. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. All right. But this was just your average people, but they had trailers and stuff. They decorated, they made floats and they were long, big floats with, they had tons of decorations, tons of cool they, dioramas. Cool. Yes, exactly. That's what they were. And I'm like, wow, this is for a small little town parade. This yeah. is fantastic. These people went all out and they said, oh, they're having a judging there. I'm like, are they giving away $10,000 or something? Because <laughs> these people spent time and money on this lights and wood structures and just themes of whatever. And I was like, very impressed. And it went, we're like, okay, small town parade, 20 minutes. No, it was an hour and a half of stuff going by. I was like, are you kidding me? The whole town is into it. That's yeah. Really cool. And, and so. so it was really good. We had a really good time with that. I, I are still looking for those things. I mean, it's only the what is it, 23rd today, still a whole month until Christmas. So we didn't make it to Cambridge, Ohio, which has a courthouse that gets lit up beautifully. They, so that's they, on our list. Dickens Town, uh, they, they decorated yes. a little bit. Yeah. Exactly. So how far was, was Cranach? Like, From us, it's 30 minutes. 40, 40. Oh, you're like 45 from us, so we can make it yeah. in an hour and a half or something. Oh, like yeah. That. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. So Wonderful. the closer it gets to Christmas, the longer the lines get, if you want to see the trees. And the 23rd's the last day. They don't do it after Christmas because people right. buy the trees and actually set them up in their house. Oh, so it's done. That's, yeah. When they've had the displays in cities where they had, hey, everybody gets a guitar, everybody gets a cow in Chicago. I, I always like that, that not only was it sponsored by various different places, but then they also get another charitable contribution yeah. because people actually get to have that as part of the permanent thing in front of their house. In front yeah. of their so, okay. All right. Hey, give us our two minute 
investing update for the week. What's hot? <laughs> oh, I was all full of myself. Man, yesterday was terrible. Oh, thank really? God I was out doing other things. And and we so we went ended up going to on the way home just the season to get some more advent calendars and things like that. And it I took uh twelve thousand dollar hit yesterday. Wow. And that's a lot in a day. Like yeah. it, it, it doesn't matter what proportion that is or anything. That's just, man, I would run out into a street full of tanks in order to pick up $12,000. Uh, I've <laughs> so owned cars I that cost I've never given less. a number like that before, but just out of, I have about a hundred stocks and I think 10 were up and 90 were down. Wow. And it wasn't on the basis of the world is coming to an end that there really is a whole bunch of good economic news. They just passed the Build Back Better bill. It was a whole bunch of profit taking, I think, that as people go into the holidays, they lose the ability to track everything day to day. And in some cases, they just take things off the table. They want to have cash in hand and, or put into something very stable so that it isn't that Thursday to Sunday uncertainty that they, my stuff fell by 25% and I didn't even couldn't do anything about it. They just can't countenance that. So I, I'm pretty sure. And my stuff is all gross stocks. It will recover. My the, the stories behind various different things. Tesla and the trade desk. Maybe it was Tesla and Etsy out of like my top twenty were the only ones that still went up. So the stories there were not only a profit taking, but they were still I don't know as you might imagine for what's happening with Christmas shopping. Etsy's doing great. Pinterest is doing great. Um, there are certain ones that seem immune from that, but all the med tech stocks, all the, the telecom stocks, everybody's saying. I don't know. I'm not going to be buying any new uh, technology in between now and then, unless it's commercial technology, like from Apple, like from Google or, or Samsung. So I, and it doesn't even have to be the more that the market shifted towards consumer spending and standard S and P 500 things, and maybe even Dow things compared to my NASDAQ things. There's just that shift of money at selling mine off to get into those and so I just took it in the face. So having said that, Tesla, they managed to, even in the face of all of these things, they've got, maybe there will be new electronic self-driving cars bought. They're not only into that, they're into battery tech, they're into space tech. I'm not sure how many people are buying a spaceship <laughs> a ride for Christmas, which the fact that there's still all the technology that goes into building these various different things, the AI, the battery tech, that all matters to other places. And in fact, like my NVIDIA, is doing well. I don't remember how it did in particular, but if you know anything about NVIDIA, they're the ones that made graphics cards for a long time. And that's what I have. Exactly. And they, that's, they're very they're beautifully done to offload hard math that goes into modern graphics from the CPU. So that's why you can get all of your texture mapping and all of your better looking games and so forth. Your FPS goes up if you've got a better GPU. Of course, they've discovered that all that hard math that gets done, that's exactly what you need for crypto. That's exactly what you need for any kind of financial modeling. They're very necessary for all kinds of AI type stuff now. And so NVIDIA is printing money. They're doing really well. And the, the competitors that they have, Intel, AMD, others, they managed not only have this niche of GPU type stuff and, and big book crunching type stuff, but expand into other places where there's no server farm that doesn't have a whole bunch of NVIDIA in it now, because it turns out that it's really also good for transaction processing just for the general web. So when they're building those massive service far, server farms in the east of Washington, it's just rack after rack after rack of Intel-based motherboards and NVIDIA enhancement, that kind of thing. Wow. 
I don't know what to tell you to bet on Christmas because it's not my bailiwick to say what company do I think is going to sell more toys or more, you know what I mean? I, I've been on Apple. I have Apple stock going. It was a humbling experience to be like, okay. In fact, this is sad. I think I've mentioned I, I have certain benchmarks of like, how am I 100, 200, 300, 300% up, 400% up? And this brought me back down below a certain level that it was like, good milestone. And now ever upwards. And so, wow, that was a big retraction to get. It happens. And, it happens. and they always say, stay the course because you don't want to panic. Then you end up losing right. more. In fact, it's, if you don't mind, a little bit worth talking about. For a while, I was doing a combination of both fundamental and technical analysis. By that meaning, Motley Fool is really good with the fundamental analysis of this company. Does it have um, good products, good tech? Can it set, does it have pricing power that it can change that as it will? How is its management team and what does everybody think of them in the industry and from in turn in, inside the company? Glassdoor rates a great person that everybody in the company hates working for. All those assets are eventually going to leave because they just can't stand working for the snake anymore. Like what happened to Uber or whatever else it might be. Having said that, I also had some idea of, so I'm picking good companies, but if I can not do market timing, but do something that says the market's going to say, based on other factors besides fundamentals, how is this stock doing in comparison to other stocks? And so I went with a company called Tradesmith that had a, a very interesting system for, here's a uh, technical analysis, things go up and down in various different patterns, candlestick method. Honestly, that's a whole kind of a crazy discussion because there's not really any way of explaining why it moves as they do, but it's like chaos theory. When you see patterns in chaos that are a little bit better, a little bit ahead of what other people are seeing, you can gain some advantage, especially for me in terms of when there was going to be big drops, I had a whole bunch of stop losses in place where if I made a certain amount of profit, I don't want to give it all back if I can help it. I'll, I was always doing between 10 and 40% of whatever my high was based on the known stock's volatility as to when I might get out. But then what I was discovering was when a couple of those triggered and then it went down for a couple of days and immediately started rising back up, my overhead is I deal through um, fidelity and my trades clear within two days. Sometimes it would get me out of a stock like immediately and then when I want to get back in because the rise is coming again, it was after I would have already wanted to buy. So I had already lost some of that. And not only the, I don't mean to blame my tools, it's that my constitution is such that I want to make good decisions, but not check it every minute. I don't right. want to ever be the guy that's in the restaurant yelling, sell, sell, because my world is falling apart. And so as I got more and more, how much of an advantage was I really gaining from technical analysis, my gains have been. 300 plus percent and going upwards from there and then do all this extra work to just get an extra 20 percent i'd rather spend more of my time discovering new companies putting new money in getting out right. of companies that have not fulfilled the story that was involved in like like zillow i think i mentioned last time out of the people that are involved in real estate open door redfin still executing quite well zillow made a big mistake and doesn't show signs of that they understand why they did that how they made their mistake so it was worth really cutting back my position in them to get into other things. So that's what I'm still doing is when the fundamentals change, if the CTO that's been running this company really well leaves, then it's like, how much confidence do I have in the new guy without knowing what his track record is? If there's a scandal within the company that there really was financial chicanery, then I got, are all the numbers that they've done up till now cooked? And how much did I buy into the false numbers? If it's this is kind of weird. I have a certain amount of national versus international bias 
because the GAAP system, the generally accepted accounting principles, apply very well here in the States, and it's really hard to game that system. You might have to have certain uh, criteria for what you're looking at for growth stocks that's not only based on earnings per share, that it's always based on the com, on it's going to grow bigger so that right now they're seeking market share instead of making money. But in the overall, if they gain market share and this does well, there's going to be a wonderful big multiplier. And then you see them getting better and better about cash flow, about free cash control and stuff like that. Having said that, those standards don't always apply in Chinese companies, in Malaysian companies, in, in a whole bunch right. of Pacific Rim. Mostly Europe, yes. Australia, yes. Um, Middle East, maybe Israel, but not a lot of the Arabic countries. Sweeping to faming statements, but there's so much proof behind that you couldn't always count on numbers coming out of Japan when it was Kanban that the Japanese government controlled a lot of stuff and that they would do governmental interaction to make predictions come true that weren't based on the market, that weren't based on smart investing. And China is loaded with that. And even Hong Kong and Singapore have enough influence, as opposed to, for instance, Taiwan, that is Chinese Taipei, but I still say Taiwan, I guess, that they really are independent enough that you can't trust their numbers. So is it applied materials, AMD? I have a certain amount of the, the position sizing that I take is based on how much do I really believe the story that's being told, or is there any kind of backroom weirdness, any kind of governmental weirdness that it had enough scandals that I just don't want to be the guy that, wow, I bet too much right. on something that didn't come true, and that there were signs that maybe it wasn't true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Isn't that something that, again, going back to parenting, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. <laughs> right. you got to have that skeptic hat on all the time. You know what I mean? So having said that, I'm hoping that I'll be part of the Christmas recovery. I'll be part of the post-COVID recovery. I'll be part of the better telecom, better cybersecurity. I, you never wish this, but when they start, I just read, bear with me, somebody got penetrated. That's really important that they not got penetrated. Oh. Darn it. A big company. And that's one of the things that usually drives interest in cybersecurity because people are finding out that there's persistent attacks coming out of East Europe. Let's call it that. Yeah. Um, Soviet Union interference, former Soviet Union. And that I really want to make sure that Yahoo, Experian, the ones that have gotten attacked that really released a lot of stuff, I personally have gotten more careful about my passwording and my second two-factor authentication. You know what I mean? Right. That everybody's going to use some kind of bio-factor on my part or that my passwords are really robust and stuff like that. But I don't want there to be a bad thing happen in the market to make me money. I want it to be that it all work. Right. And, right. and I think I talked about this a little bit last time, but I, I really what I am always doing is not only about, it's not only, it's not even primarily about making money. I want to create a better future. And so I want to vote for, I don't care about monster and energy drinks. I care about cybersecurity. I care about medtech that's going to cure diseases. I care about self-driving cars and ways that we're going to get energy better, the economy better, our environment better. You know what I mean? I care about all those things, the disruptive things that are making it easier for the little guy in the face of monolithic things that got a lot of control and then stopped innovating, stopped trying to make the world a better place, started to grasp more out of existing, that they were a parasite more than they are a generator. I care about all that. And so some part of what I've done, I'm out, I, I got rid of Monster because I really didn't agree that I want my kids to be addicted to energy drinks, that I think that we should have more. I don't know what's in there, but it makes me feel great. And I want my eyes to be bulging out of my head. Right, right. I actually have a company called Celsius Holdings that does similar things, but I'm like, I don't know that I'm comfortable with enhanced sugar water. 
right. it makes me expensive exactly that so maybe that's a little goofy compared to the damage they're doing there's so much worse companies I never want to be in any gambling stock i never want to be in any fracking stock we know that there are companies that everything having to do with fighting this battle against climate change it's the oil companies and the coal companies and the places that are still trying to make it that all the carbon go back to neil stevenson one of the things that he said is in order to get us back to where we were pre-industrial all the carbon we've taken out of the ground has to go back into it who's working on that on carbon sequestration and not putting more carbon and we just had wonderful things happen at the latest cop 26 in glasgow about how we're making big commitments but then you find out the commitments are for 2030 and 50 and 70 and that the biggest polluters like china are not agreeing it's a pledge but there's no teeth behind it. And like, we're still going to open 14 more coal-burning power plants to just catch up to the West. And then don't worry, we'll tail back. And so it's, you're, that's like talking to an addict and saying, I know you can stop whatever you want. Sure you can. You know what I mean? Right, right. I, 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 that's a story that I don't believe. I don't believe that the energy companies are ever going to really fix things until they're forced to, until right. the government Agreed. does, or until market forces are so persuasive that solar panels really are better dollar spent in, in generating power and in our battery technology and our transmission technology that really is vast fields of things in Utah and Nevada can still get power to LA without large transmission loss and stuff like that. So I'm the cool thing about having gotten to investing these last three years is I'm continually reading a lot about the real world as well as my comic books and my speculative fiction and my TV shows. And there's heroes to be found. You know what I mean? There really are people that are solving. Boy, the latest issue of Time Magazine has the 100 greatest inventions of this year. Uh-oh. Every year. They've had this running 5, 10 years now. Every year, if you want to just have hope for the future. That's it. <laughs> this is the issue. It's here's how to, we invented a better pump so that even in places, very arid places, it can get water out of just unforgiving land and filter it so that it's not sure you got water, but now you're sick with all the parasites and all the particulate. <laughs> and here's how to have a, a, a battery pack, like you know, as, as big as a big Hershey bar or something like that, that it can run a household. It's so well concentrated with power. You take it to your house, runs the house, you take it back the next day to the battery depot and trade it in for another one that's going to overcharge uh, charge overnight and then come back. And so all the places that instead of having to go through, put wires in the, in the air, put wires in the ground, run all the transmission lines, we're getting to where all those places that we're able to skip whole generations of phone things, putting copper in the ground to just get to cell phones. They're now finding that out with other technology, all kinds of medical things, all kinds of monitoring things. I, it's just so heartening to see, yay, smart people. They continue to come up with not just pie in the sky innovation, but someone's working on, the more that we understand material science, here's how this nanotechnology-based smoother is going to reduce friction in a way that it costs us 10% of energy every year in dynamos or whatever else it might be. And I, I don't know, that's one of the ones I just read about. But you know, like in the right, past, right, right. there's been all kinds of things that it's not only people will be able to get it. Hey, I got a, a, the best SPF ever, that everything that you do for an industry that when they first started to have complex fluorescent bulbs and now better incandescents that are just energy sipping, this bulb will last 22 years. It's not only about, I won't have to reach that for 22 years. It's the vast office buildings 
that not only have that energy sipping ability, but they put a little monitor that says, if I don't detect motion, I'll turn it off. So instead of going past these blazing with light building in downtown Chicago, now there's the few diehards that are working in their offices have their lights on and everything else. And so that whole reduce, reuse, recycle, we're getting better at every aspect of that. It goes right back back to what we said, (laughs) teaching the kids, turn the lights off when you leave the room. Right. And honestly, like now I got an auto mom. I right. got someone instead of my having to follow them around my house you, and make you got, sure they flush the toilet and make sure they turn the light off. It'll do it for you. You got Rosie from the Jetsons. <laughs> like that. So, so I, I just, we'll have to talk about that. Uh, yeah. A few individual notes because every year there's things like, this is a miracle. I'll have and to get like, that issue. It's the coolest thing, Stephen. Yeah. It's really heartening. You know what I mean? Just wow. <laughs> For this week, I didn't really do Raspberry Pi updates too much, but I was, there's a program on the Pi that also runs on Windows and Mac. It's called GDevelop. It's a 2D game framework creator, whatever. It's open source, but what I love about it is it works on all the platforms. It's basically free, though you can give them some money to get a few added benefits, which I think is a nice compromise. But the great so thing about once one anywhere is great. You know yes, I mean? and you have to tune it for each platform. Okay. Right. The great thing about it is you can export to multiple different platforms. A lot of the commercial ones, you can do that, but then it costs extra money. This okay. allows you like Android or iPhone or iPad or Windows or Mac, but you can export to all of them. What it does do, it limits you to two a day. So if you want more, you pay for more. So licensing in a way. Right. So it's open source. Kids can use it. Schools can use it. Anyone can use it. You're not paying anything. You just, it's like the games where now that you've been playing for fourth level, now you have to pay if you want it faster. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So I was playing with that over the weekend and I created, I'm working on a game. I, for a friend, blah, blah, blah. But it's a simple, you've seen it a million times. I'm, you're a guy with a baseball bat walking around hitting zombies. And <laughs> I worked on being able to pathfind the zombies so they would find a way around the trees to get to me and follow me if I'm moving. The worst part is right now, I, the character, can move through the trees. And so I'm working on the collision of the sprites. So okay. I can't yeah. walk through the trees, but be able to keep moving. I, just some issues. Yeah. So that's something that's I was like, doing. Games classically have had it that it's not only a yes, no, that you can you can get through a tree, but it takes two movements because you're rushing through it. Right. Bump land versus firm land or whatever else it might be. Yeah. Mountain, you really can't step across a mountain. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know? So I'm working on all that aspect and, and I, I, showing the kids and stuff. And I'm working on the functions, the programming. That's the important part. So I have blocks. So literally, I have square little blocks I put an eye on, and another one I put a mouth. You know, and they're like, "Very cool." Well, that looks stupid. I'm like, "But the functionality." They're like, "Doesn't look good." I'm like, "That's art. I, I can get the art and replace it." <laughs> Imagine what it will look like when I get right. it working, and then we make it pretty. Okay. So you mentioned Stevenson. So I'll throw out a uh, book. Uh, for the week. It is Canadian Werewolf in New York by Mark Leslie Lefay. <laughs> a riff on American. I just interviewed him for my Discovered Wordsmith Discovered. podcast. Yeah. He is Canadian, but he loves Spider-Man. He wore a Spider-Man shirt because he and I have talked Spider-Man. He's also a Rush fan. So we talked Rush songs, but he, one of the guys that helped get Kobo, the Canadian ebook platform 
working and off the ground and launched okay. all of that and yeah. their their Kobo Nook and stuff. But now he's not only an author, but an enabler, a market. Yes, very much. And now he works with a company called Draft the Digital, where in the indie publishing, these guys, they're aggregators. So instead of going to Apple and Amazon and Google and all these others, I go to Draft the Digital and they disperse it out. They take a small cut, but it saves me time. The best thing about them is they have, they have some really good programmers, but they have a slew of free tools. So if you write a book, you can get an account at draft the digital, put your book in their system and get it transformed into an ebook, nicely formatted and all sorts of stuff. Exactly. And it's free navigation. See, that's very cool. Then they have all these art tools, universal book links. So I can send everybody to one page and wherever you are in the world, no matter what platform you want to buy on, it'll send you to the right website for your country and that exactly. platform. Exactly, so it'll be in your currency and your yeah. delivery respect. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So I talked to Mark. We had a really good discussion. Book, Canadian Werewolf in New York. I just picked it up. So I'm just telling everybody. I, I love discovering new things, especially when someone uh, whose taste I like recommend something to me. Yeah. So thank you very much. Okay. So there we go. Colleen is looking for things to get for me. And instead of it being, I don't know, the next Yes album, which she knows, do I even have it? She's not <laughs> sure. It's cool to find out that I'll send her some hints. It, and this is funny, in closing, while we were at the Kansas concert, we saw a shirt that said, keep calm and carry on my wayward son. <laughs> that's, that's really good. And I love it. It's got to be out there. And I think that maybe I'll be getting a new shirt. That would be... Her. So, <laughs> did she excuse herself for the restroom and come back 20 minutes later? Exactly that, with you know, her, yeah, her yeah. phone's still warm in her hand. You right. know, <laughs> All right, before we go, do you have a trivia question to stump me on? Oh, I, I didn't think enough about looking. Okay, I got a good one if you don't. I was okay. ready for this okay. one. Can you name the first home console with changeable cartridges and bonus who designed it? Who's the engineer? So, this might be very personal. We had a Magnavox thing really Odyssey. early on. Is it really that? No, nope, no, nope. no. Okay, I know the so Magnavox had Odyssey. one of those even before Atari, even before anything yep. else. That would have been my guess because because that's the first one that we had, and I didn't know there was many out there besides that. I just watched a, a documentary about this, but nothing's coming to mind that would give me the authoritative answer. What do you I got? agree. What? I didn't know okay. this either. I would have okay. guessed the Odyssey. Also, that was my okay. first thought. But it was called the Channel F, and it was by a guy, an engineer named Jerry Lawson. And to even give it a little more perspective, he was a black guy in Silicon Valley in the early seventies. So interesting. Um, okay. I picked all that. kinds of barriers for him to work. Up yes, that. that's what they said. They were talking yes. to his uh, kids and you know, talking about that. So he invented nice. the first changeable cartridge home console. And I got that. I, I spent the weekend. We've talked about this before yeah. the, the program high score and the one with the Nintendo Sega argument, the audiobook is much better than the TV show, but I also watched the documentary where they dug up the ET cartridges out in the desert, you know, picking up uh, all these cool video game things over the last week. Right. Uh, and that was like, Oh, I didn't know that. That's pretty awesome. So <laughs> yeah, that's, I, I, it, that is enough history, modern history, that there's still so much I don't know about that I love watching those kinds of yeah. shows about how video games were made, toys were made, early cultural phenomenon. Like when did Star Wars really take off? 
and all the action figures and all that kind of stuff. I, I, that, that's just fun. I like learning that kind yeah, of stuff. I love it too. So, yeah. actually, so I, here, I, I have a question for you. Okay. So, uh, Robert Johnson, famous blues man. Yes. Um, maybe the prototypical blues man has a legend about him that he got his talent by betting with the devil at the crossroads. A movie named Crossroads that has a guitar duel between yes. our young hero and the devil's guitarist. And who played those two? Ralph Macchio. Right. And, oh, I know the guitarist. <laughs> I know the guitarist because he played with David Lee Roth. You're exactly right. Uh, I keep wanting to say. And he Ing looks like the devil. Yeah, he I want to say Ingve Malmsteen. <laughs> and that stuck in my head. It's not Ingve. I know that. He does um, that riff like Ingve, man. He really is a fantastic and still making great music to this day. I, I can't get the name. I know who it is. I can't get yeah. the name. It's Steve Vai. That's it. Exactly. Yes. So, yeah. So there, you, the fact that you got Macho, that might be the harder one because everybody likes the Guitar Hero by reference, whereas Macho, especially when they start doing this little arpeggiation, oh man, that's yeah. a great last scene, that guitar duel. Yeah, and <laughs> so there's, for a, you, man. there's a, a show me and Reese watched called Todd and the Book of Pure Evil. It, <laughs> okay. It, it's as silly as it sounds, but there's a guitar duo in that and we were trying to figure out who the actual guitarists were because we know it wasn't okay. the two actors but yeah that so if you ever find that out let me know <laughs> I, i'll see if i can stumble across that exactly yeah. all okay. right man Very so good. saturday first snow yes first snow our tso trans tribute band um i made <laughs> so what it is i don't think that either union town provisions or fresco bistro which you talked about take reservations but I wrote an email to saying, if you do take preservations, please make them for four and we'll be there at 530 for the seven o'clock show. Got and it. so I think that Uniontown is a little bit bigger and fancier, but not as close. We'll decide which one we're going to. I think that we're going to go with Uniontown because I think that Fresco Bistro is like really healthy, very vegetarian. And if we're looking for a chunk of meat, Colleen is my little raptor. She's a little, <laughs> quite the carnivore. Yeah, Gina she likes a good steak. So that's something let's look towards that. Maybe. We'll All right. That. Okay. Saturday. We'll see you Saturday at uh, 5.30. Okay. Well, yeah, we might be out there a little earlier because they're having their festival. Oh, it's cookie festival. day. It's yes. cookie festival. And I, as I laughed about, you and me really shouldn't be going. No. To and no. yet, it's, we could probably go and say, do you have anything that's no sugar in the cookie? And do more places are getting that. More places are doing <laughs> understanding right. that stuff. So and we'll was, see. I think there's two dozen going on 30 different places. Somebody has to have safer yeah, cookies something. than just the most caramel dripping <laughs> you <laughs> yeah, know what i mean right. so, okay all right man a pleasure have a great thanksgiving and yep, then we'll see you, you too the Merry, happy thanksgiving okay. bye you have been listening to the relentless geekery podcast come back next week and join alan and steven's conversation on geek topics of the week <laughs>